Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Share your question or comments using the live chat feature on our website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Again, that's www.allaboutwinebtr.com. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. There's that there's that one checkbox on Blog Talk Radio down at the bottom. It says uh, play intro audio. And normally last year uh, when we got on Facebook, I unchecked that box because I played on this end and it's in stereo. Uh-huh. It goes out over Facebook in stereo, I'm guessing. And uh, totally forgot it today. So I started my intro after she said Blog Talk Radio. And then Blog Talk Radio started their intro. <laughs> and I just, oh, whatever. I can't. <laughs> oh, that's what I was hearing there. I yeah, thought, wow, it was a double. That's a strange sound that coming in. That's what it was. Yep, it was a double. Uh, oh, well, it's a new year. But we're back. <laughs> new we weren't here last week. Anyone who tuned in last week, Mike and I were both sick. You know, yep. No voice, cold, and you know, under the weather, just really, really nasty. And it's just a cold. It wasn't anything more than that, but it was enough to keep us off the air for the night. Yep. So, <clears throat> if you're listening to this, you want to listen to last week on archives. Don't. It's not there. Mm-mm. No. But. On, on but. Either. Yes. But. Uh-oh. This is an anniversary for us. It's our 11th anniversary. It is. January the 9th. Yeah. Sure is. It is, yeah. So, fell on January 9th, our anniversary. So, that's cool, too. Wow. 11 years yeah. we've been doing this on Blog Talk Radio. And I say on Blog Talk Radio because we have, what, like six months that was on a couple of other yes. blog stations before. But this is 11 yeah. years on Blog Talk Radio. Amazing. So, yeah, it is. This is great. Amazing. So, a lot of milestones, a lot of guests, a lot of... Uh, a lot of guests, a lot of milestones, um, a lot of information, and uh, a lot of, of listeners. <laughs> You know, a lot of listeners, yeah, tons of listeners. A lot of listeners, you know, and, and we've we've been we've been picked up by different things over the years, and and you know, Armed Forces Radio Network uh, had us for a while when they tried to reboot. I I think they didn't do the reboot, so but we were one of their yeah. one of their premier ones that they picked up when they tried to reboot, which I was very very proud of that they chose us, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've gotten different websites that have picked us as uh, a good wine talk show, and oh, it's been 
It's been great. So 11 years, and it's all because of you peoples out there. So thanks. Yeah, thank you very much. Mike and I enjoy what we do. I do. I'm sure he does. You know, we never talk about him, but yeah. So, but uh, (laughs) you know what? You know what's interesting is we're on separate ends of Florida, pretty much, right? You're you're on the west coast. I'm somewhere in between that and the east coast, and. He's looking up. He's talking about a definition or something. And it, you know, in a studio, you can point to somebody, like, "Hey, this is something you need to look at." But I don't see that. So, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I throw a quick one on me. And it's like, so what exactly does that mean? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. There's no visual cue to know that you know, it's coming back to me at some point. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and the only fun. time that we ever had an episode where we were both on it was the very first show. Was it the first one? The very first one, yeah. Because you came wow. out to the winery and set up out the back door. Oh, yeah, that was Yeah, I remember that. It, it was windy, and so you had to set up out the back door to block some of the noise. Yep. And yep. that was our very first show uh, of of uh, Florida State Winery, and, and uh, we didn't even call you it all about wine, wine at that time. Yeah. You had a wine fest. I remember. Um, that's right. Everybody that's out right. in the back there doing the wine, doing the, the fest out there, and and I talked to some of the 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 vendors and and people out there, and it was a lot of fun. But uh, I remember, that, yeah, that was a very windy day. Yeah, it was windy. Yeah. That's why you had to set up out the back door there because it was so windy, it was making noise, and you know so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but that yeah. was our, and that was the only show I think that we were both live together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Ever since right. then, we've we've it's both been thing. on our studio <laughs> page, but not together. You know. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like so sometimes, but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, but where you? Yeah, if you have a so, so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. We're pros. <laughs> if you uh, if you have any uh, questions or comments or anything, go to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash all about wine btr that's for btr is for blog talk radio by the way uh facebook.com forward slash all about wine btr look at the video up there the live one and uh, you'll see that um you can post in the comments there and i'll get up and uh hopefully i'm looking at it when you do that and i'll let uh, ron know and we'll see if it's a question a comment just let him know real quick and give you a shout out so yep. let us know get on there now or just have any comments to us about anything, you know, you can put it on there. You know, it doesn't have to just be questions. Although if you do have questions, we'll, we'll be happy to answer them. And, uh, and if I don't know, we'll find the answers. That's uh, right. So, uh, let's see what else. What is this? I'm going to talk to Mike about something else. On our studio here, it says episode info, and then right next to it, it says chat. Is that chat for our listeners or for you and me? I'm clicking on it now. I remember last time there was – oh, this is new. Uh, don't know. I don't either. Huh. Uh, I have no idea. Um, it's a different format than what it was last time. A long time ago they had one, but it was a pop-up window. It did. Uh, it had. It was a different background and everything. And I'm yeah, all seeing, sorts of uh, different stuff on it. This one right next to <clears> – <throat> Episode. I don't know. I'm, hmm. I was just wondering if you knew. All right. Yeah. So. 
See, that's one of those things where we can't point to each other because what's this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Trying to see if there's uh, something on the show page, maybe, maybe on Blog Talk Radio, that popped out. But uh, oh yeah, okay. If you go to uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash all about wine and go to that top show for today, uh, and you click on that, there is a live chat um, thing down there. So I um, oh, oh. don't know how that works. No clue no. how that works, but uh, see if it. I don't know what happened. Maybe, maybe people can chat with us if they want to. I guess so. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, oh, okay. Learning. We're discovering stuff all the time. So, first show of 2022, <laughs> by the way. Uh, we uh, missed the uh, the first date that we could have done a show because of being ill, but this is our first show of 2020. So we got a whole year ahead of us here and hopefully pass on some wine information for you and let you learn something and have fun with us and all that. So, okay. Uh, what are we going to talk? Let's uh, mention the Australian wildfires. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. The wildfires in Australia. And it's, uh, there was a picture that was passed around on the, uh, I'm going to say Facebook, uh, there was, and also on other sites that showed Australia from space and all the red, red where it's burning. That is a composite. It's not really burning up. Uh, it's a composite picture of wildfires that have happened this season. And a lot of those are out. A lot of them are brush fires that are out and stuff like that. So I, I, when I first saw the picture, I went, Oh my gosh, the Australia is burning up. But, and uh, I pursued it and found, actually I got on a chat with somebody that lived in Australia. And I said, you guys are burning up. And he says, no, no, no. He said, if you're referring to the satellite picture that shows Australia, he said, that's not true. He said, that's, it's not that bad. He said, we are having bad fires here. Yes, he said, but it's not as bad as that picture portrays it. So uh, he was in Melbourne, uh, around Melbourne. It wasn't the town of Melbourne, around Melbourne. thought I was chatting with him. Uh, actually, was texting back and forth. And he was around Melbourne. And he said that, you can smell smoke almost everywhere in the country. He said, there's reports of smoke being around. And I said, well, I'm, I'm curious about the grapevines or any of those being affected. And he did say that he has read reports that New South Wales and Victoria are having problems with the grapevines. Some of them have been burned up and stuff like that. But, uh, he, uh, he said that it's bad, but it's not devastating yet. Uh, so just to pass that on to you, I did say, would you like to be on the program? He goes, no, thank you. So uh, I was going to get him on. I couldn't do that. But fires in Australia, they're they're nasty, and it's affecting, affecting some of the grapevine. New South Wales and Victoria are the two states 
that are affected more than anything right now. And they still don't have everything under control. A lot of the brush fires are, but some of the big ones are still giving them problems. And they're not getting the rains in that would normally stop that or make the ground wet. So as I find out stuff, I'll pass it on. Speaking of stuff, we talked about the Laminog in the Philippines uh, three weeks ago, I think it was three or four weeks ago, we talked about Laminog. And it's a homemade wine made with coconut. And it kills people, (laughs) which is really odd. But it kills people. It's got arsenic in it. And the arsenic gives a bite to it. And when they do the the home stuff, the uh, arsenic sometimes is too strong. And if you drink too much of it, it builds up in your body and it kills you. And before Christmas, I think like a week before Christmas, something like eight people died and 300 were sent to the hospitals from drinking Laminog. I have a cousin who lives in the Philippines. And so I sent him a email and I said, what's, tell me about Laminog. Uh, what's it taste like? Do you, uh, do you know anything about it? What's, what's going on with it? And he told me, he says, you know, he quit drinking uh, three years ago. So then right, right when he moved to the Philippines, actually, he said he quit drinking and he was not that familiar with Laminog, but he does have friends who do drink it. And he was going to talk to them about it and let me know some more information. And as of yet, I have not heard from him. So I don't know any more about Laminog than the fact that it's made from coconuts or wine. It contains arsenic and it can kill you. So once I find out more stuff, then I will pass that on to you. My engineer just brought me in wine of the night for the radio show. It is uh, Como Cono, Cono Sur, C-O-N-O, Cono Sur, S-U-R, Bicicleta. It's Cono Sur Bicicleta Reserva. It's from Chile. 2017 Pinot Noir. Got a neat little embossed bicycle on the bottle, which is sort of cool. Uh, the Just a one-seat regular old bicycle, nothing fancy. On the back, it says, uh, if I can read it here, this is the Conocer Vineyard Workers Travel Around Our State by Bicycle. Tending the vines using natural methods in order to produce the best quality grapes. Our bicicleta wine is a tribute to them and symbolizes our sustainable philosophy and commitment to the environment. And it is certified carbon neutral, but it doesn't say anything more than that. Huh, that's a new label. Carbon neutral. It, uh, winemaker's notes about this wine, a fresh, voluptuous Pinot 
with rich notes of cherry, blackberries, and plum together with a balanced ripe palate. Pair this with grilled chicken or red meat dishes. It's from Chile. Has the government warning on there. Uh, producing bottle in Chile by Vina Cunosur. Uh, Santiago Chile imported uh, to Mendocino County, California, and it is 14.5% alcohol, and that's it. Certified carbon neutral. Not anything else, not certified organic or anything, but certified carbon neutral. Hmm. That's an interesting, interesting thing there. What's that to say? Just a number. Uh, so, Conocer Bicicleta Reserva, a Pinot Noir wine of Chile. Conocer being the winery. Uh, so, I just read you that. Let's see what it looks like here. Light. Most Pinot Noirs tend to be a little bit lighter in color. This is also. Hmm. I'm not getting an aroma out of it. Why is that? This is a screw cap? Yes. Oh, it is a screw cap. I just looked at the top on this. And I realized that I saw the threads on it. There it comes. I'm not getting real strong aromas, but it was just open, so... I need a few minutes to open up here for it. Yeah, starting to pick up a little bit of the blackberry in it. That's, that's coming out first. I think that's all I'm t- getting is blackberry. Let's take a sip here. a lot of fruit out of it. A little disappointed. I'll tell you what I'm going to do is let it sit here for a few minutes and see if a little bit of air is going to help it any because it's a little disappointed right now. So as soon as I get more information on on Laminog, I will pass that on to you. Uh, If if my cousin remembers and lets me know. I'm going to talk about China wine, Chinese wine, and uh, the wines of China. Uh, it's big. China wine is big. They, they've been around for a long time, and a long time, a long, 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 long time, and different information written on it and all that. So I'm going to give you a primer of Chinese wine. And you can't find it. You know, you can go get on your computer, go to uh, um, Amazon, and Amazon does have Chinese wine available. It's, I don't know if they ship it for free, but they do have Chinese wine available. 
the uh, name for Chinese wine actually is grape alcohol. The, uh, it's not, uh, it, well, the Chinese written word actually means grape alcohol. It doesn't translate to wine. And uh, is yellow wine is something that is used uh, quite often, but yellow wine is a distilled spirit called Beiju, Beiju, B-A-I-J-I-U, Beiju. And it is, I've been the the wine, the yellow wine that's been around forever. Uh, But since the 1980s and the global economic reform, especially in China, they have started to drink more and more wines from around the world, and they are now among the top 10 global markets for wine. Uh, Also, very strong users, very big users of French wine. So, uh, No, they even have a song, the song of the grape. And uh, it says, "We men of Sin, Sin uh, Jin, such grapes so fair do cultivate as gems most rare. Of these delicious wine we make, for which men ne'er their thirst can sh- slake. S l a k e slake. They have to do something rhyme with make." Take but a measure of this wine, and Lang Chao's rule is surely thine. This is from 1772 to 1842, which was, I guess, the ruler back then, that time. Wild grapes and wine alcohol production has been used most of the time in China. High-quality wines is not really one of the big things. They've had uh, uh, all sorts of wild grapes that they've used. The During the 18th century, they have uh, had many poems and stuff written during Emperor uh, Kenzi's term and a lot of them have been written about wine. It was very, very popular back then. Most alcohol beverages included grape wine, rice wine, mead, and several mixtures of these type of wines. Uh, grape seeds have been discovered and uh, used for grape consumption from the Bronze Age in China. They have made plum wine. They've made wines from all sorts of fruits and everything over the centuries. And... Uh, it's been exotic, if you will. That's that's really probably the most common thing about wine. It's been exotic. Uh, the Silk Road, located in China, has transferred a lot of the grapes from different areas, France and stuff like that, to China. And there's lots of different areas now that uh, have been growing the French grapes forever because of the Silk Road back in uh, what century was that? Uh, I don't know. 641, is that right? Yeah, 641. 
uh, AD. So they don't call it AD anymore, too. There's something else that I hear being referred to instead of AD. So, but 641, the Silk Road, a lot of the grapes have been transferred around. During the Ming Dynasty, it was spread even more. The Ming Dynasty spread a lot of it. There is some uh, foreign imports and foreign investment over there. In 1980, the beginning of the Chinese economic reform brought in a lot of different wineries and joint ventures with uh, China and different companies have developed over 90 brands of alcoholic beverages and won awards around the world. The uh, Great China Great Wall Wine Company is one of the biggest ones there. And and by 2005, 90% of the grape wine produced was consumed locally, and most of it are made by the Great China Great Wall Wine Company. I'm having a problem saying that. Recently, China Great Wine has been again appearing on other shelves around the world, California, Western Canada. There are some types of wine, Australian, uh, Australian. Chinese wine found in Chile and Australia, and there's been a big movement to work with them and produce better wines in China from getting grapes from these other countries. Organic wine is catching on also over there. Uh, as of 2012, a large uh, or a small number of uh, companies. Uh, have dominated most of the wine production there. Uh, Again, uh, China Great Wall Wine Company, Chengyou Pioneer Wine, and Dynasty Wine being the three that have pretty much taken over uh, most of the market. Uh, There's been merchants that have been shipping stuff in from other areas. Wine-producing regions of China, uh, I'm going to go to a different screen on that when I tell you about that. Uh, first, um, market trends in China. Uh, it's uh, the fifth largest consumer of wine, both domestic and imported, in 2011. That's the latest, latest reports and studies that they've had. Uh, by 2014, 2.5. One seven billion bottles were consumed in China. Uh, wow, that's kept China in fifth place. Uh, up to then, the United States remains the largest market for all types of wine, but uh, it's ahead of France, Italy, United Kingdom, and then China comes in fifth. The availability of Chinese. Wines have spread throughout the world. Uh, there's a couple of importers that have been able, Chinese importers have been able to get it all over the place. I mean, it's just in some of the countries I just mentioned to you, and then there's quite a few other smaller countries, including Italy and Spain, Germany, a lot of those places. So globalization of it. Both red and white wines are commonly served chilled in China. The wine may be poured into an ordinary wine glass in tiny amounts or into very small glasses called 
Beiju glasses. And this is the Beiju from the original wines that were being made. The, well, not wine, the alcohol drinks that were being made. They still call them Beiju glasses. Little small glasses. When served at a table with more than two people, uh, similar style is used as drinking Beiju, which I told you was a very alcoholic drink. Typically consumed during a group toast, and the entire glass is finished. You down it. Uh, this is how it's drank there. And this particularly is true when serving during uh, restaurant meals. Uh, you have your bottle or your decanter or whatever at the table, and you pour a little bit, and, and it's, it's drank. It's not set there at the table or anything. Uh, portal wine, Chinese portal. Huh. I'm going to click on something here. Let me see what this does. Uh, the China portal. Hmm. Well, that's new. All right. Um, Chinese wines emerged on the global wine scene in unprecedented speed in recent years, and consumption and production. Uh, the uh, domestic production dropped for five years in a row to 2017, and then that year, one billion liters or 264 million U.S. gallons were produced. Red wine, like I mentioned, is, is consumed chilled, but it's red wine is more popular with the younger generation of consumers. This is the 25 to 36 group, which is what? The millennials? That's 25 to 36? Uh, or is that the Gen Xers? That might be the Gen Xers, 25 to 36. Women typically regard wine as more stylish than beer. Wine drinkers are becoming more educated regarding imported wines, and they're relying on their importers for and distributors for information to help them do it. Uh, Bordeaux has reduced. Burgundy has picked up uh, as areas that are popular. The domestic wine out of China is in competition basically with what they're getting from France and from the United States, although with tariffs and stuff. I don't know what's happening with that. Beer production slipped in 2017, but rosé has jumped up. So it's become a new drink, rosé, as opposed to beer in China. The uh, beer is actually consumed by 33% of the people. Uh, Beiju, again, we're back to that high alcoholic drink, is consumed by 29%. Uh, Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, 12%, and that is a blend that's doing Cabernet Sauvignon, 9%, Rare Red Blend, 3%, Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot, 2%, and Chardonnay, 2%. So it just goes to show that the white wines are not that popular. Red wines, the, the men, it's uh, uh, it's a drink of the men, the, the red wines, and they do women mostly. The I found prices and some stuff of Chinese wines, 
and I'm, I'm not going to try to say the names of them because I will destroy the name. I know I will, so I'm not going to even attempt it. But uh, an Ao Yun from Yunnan, China. It's a Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon blend. Score 91, $291. Whoa. I, I, and I'm sure that's U.S. dollars. Great Wall Cabernet Sauvignon from Hebei, China. And it is Cabernet Sauvignon. Score of 85, only $14. So, you know, there you go. It's just, it's, they're all over the place in the prices here. I'm seeing here's a Silver Heights, the Summit. It's a Bordeaux blend, red blend, 89 on the score and $51. But a Cabernet Sauvignon from Hallen Mountain, China, 88 scored $13. So, and then it goes on and on with all the all the different ones. Uh, looking at the list of the best Chinese wines, the the, the Halyun Yunnan Chinese one I just read you, two hundred ninety one dollars. But then the Canon Winery Pretty Pony is a rare red blend, score of eighty nine. It's only forty five dollars. So it's they're all over the place, just like everybody else. So I mean, it, it, I, I shouldn't be surprised. It's different prices all over for everybody. Here's a Vidal, though, which surprised me. That's $52. And best value uh, is Cabernet Sauvignons and Red Blends, almost every one of them. Most expensive, uh, $291. That's one I just, I've been reading you on that. That is the most expensive. But on the list of most expensive is at the bottom of the list of the I think there's 12 of them here, $13. Bottom two are $13. So, And then the cheapest is uh, $13. Yeah, that's uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. That red blend is 13 and stuff. So they're all over the place in the prices, but isn't all wines. Whenever you start reading wine about different regions and stuff, you're going to find wines that are everywhere in the price and all that. So, but regions, this is uh, the growth of China wine over the last few years. Country has outpaced many classic wine regions in terms of production. And in 2018, they're in ninth place in the world in production. Wow. Let's take a close look at some of this stuff here. The Culture is relatively new, the wine culture. Uh, in a short period of time, it grew to the fifth largest wine consumer in the world. The, uh, the Eurasian grapevine first came to China during the Han Dynasty around 2,200 years ago. Yet it's only been since the 1980s that, you've, uh, that we've seen China devote itself to modern winemaking. So they've had for 2,200 years, and just recently they decided, oh, let's let's do something with this, and they came up with with some great wines. China is enormous, various wine making terrains and climates. Then near the coast, and when you speak of the coast of China, you're looking on the Pacific Ocean coast. That's 
about the only coast that they have, the Pacific Ocean. Near the coast, uh, Shandong has high rainfall and monsoons during the growing season, which widely affects the wine quality. And then uh, further inland, you'll find Ningzai wine region and the Helen Mountains. Uh, straddle the Gobi Desert and create an arid growing region. So you and grapes are growing in both the areas. Wine grapes grown in China. Cabernet Sauvignon. Cabernet Grenache, which is also known as Carmenere. Cabernet Grenache. Huh. Carmenere. Merlot and Marcelin are the primary grapes in Chinese wine production. And in China, Cabernet Sauvignon is the king. It is uh, the one that's used for almost everything and blends and stuff uh, because of the Bordeaux's influence. Uh, Bridal selection, winemaking techniques, and even wineries have mirrored the French wine region of Bordeaux. And... uh, the uh, it's because of the Cabernet Sauvignon there, but before Cabernet Sauvignon was so popular, Cabernet Grenache was popular. Now this is Carmenere, and I've I've spoke, you know, I've, I've waxed poetic about the Carmenere. I love the Carmenere, and it's usually in, I thought, only in Chile, but not as a Carmenere. It's called something else uh, here, so that's maybe why we don't know that it's a Carmenere out of China. I'm going to take a break and go back to my wine and see if this has opened up any here. And Thank you. Yes, it has. See, all we need to do is pull the cork out. And it has opened. It's... Uh, Raspberry, a little bit of plumminess to it. I'm getting a little off aroma. I can't quite place what it is. Hmm, I don't know. But I'm getting that black fruit, the blackberry, and the, the plum and cherry hint, though. Very, very minute amounts. It's not real pronounced. And more of blackberry in the taste than anything else. Very short aftertaste. I'm very disappointed in the aftertaste. It disappears almost immediately. Would I recommend it? I would say put your money on something else. Personally, I would say if you've got the money and you're buying a wine, then it's not bad. It's I think I can't remember what we paid for it. And you start, oh, I say this all the time. And you start writing the 
price on these bottles that we have just so I can pass it on to you. But it's not bad. Uh, but if I'm going to buy something, I think I would look at something else to put my money on as opposed to this. But it's always nice to have a peanut oil anyway, no matter no matter what. So let's get back to Chinese grapes. Cabernet Grenache arrived in China during the 19th century. The name Lucy translates from German to mixed Cabernet. The noted grape gen- genesis, Jose uh, Violemos, uh, Violemos, V-O-U-I-L-L-A-N-M-O-Z. Let me see if, this, if I can click on this and it tells me more about him. Mm, Jose Valmos. Probably tell me more about him, but it probably tell me how to pronounce his name. Well, it's taking a sweet old time. Oh, it's a big old vineyard stuff here on Hillside. Well, that's sort of cool. Switzerland. That's a drone image of the vineyards of Valais, Switzerland where he is located to satisfy customers all over the globe, he says. And it's a YouTube thing. I'm not going to click on it because I'll start making a bunch of noise. It's sort of a cool picture, though. But I don't know. Does this say anything else about him? He does DNA profiling, wine writing, vine age, conference speaker, grape dictionary, wine and grapes educator. Oh, I'll have to check out more of that when I have time. I'll read more of that. Jose Villan, J-O-S-E-V-O-U-I-L-L-A-M-O-Z.com. So if you want to check that out, it's a pretty neat site. I even just now saw it, but click on it. Go, go take a look. But the noted great genesist uh, researched it and figured out the Cabernet Grenache is, in fact, Carmenere, which, wow, I never knew that. That opens up a whole new area for me, which I only thought it was available in Chile. I had no idea that it was available in in China. It's often blended with Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot in a lot of places. Uh, this is why domestic Chinese wines often have that bell pepper flavor which is a common trait of the Carmenere. You know, in fact, I always like that, that pepperiness of the Carmenere. Another odd grape in Chinese production is the Marcelin. It's a red grape originally from southern France. It was first bred in 1961, which is really, really rather new as far as grape was. It's a cross between a Cabernet Sauvignon and Grenache. Marcelin demonstrates good resistance to powdery mildew. And therefore, it is performing well in the human regions as Shandong. And uh, makes wines that are medium-bodied, not Cabernet Sauvignon style. The... Chinese wine regions, there are 12 major 
wine regions in China. Uh, five regions known for both quality and production. The Shandong province, which includes Yantai, Penglai, and Guangdong. Uh, Shandong has been China's largest wine producer, uh, with over 40% of the country's wines being produced there. And this is where the first winery, called uh, Changyu, started in 1982. Uh, the area sits along the same latitude as Bordeaux. So to point out the similarities is really pretty easy because it's, it's right there and because of the hills and stuff around it. Uh, within Yantai, several large wineries mimic the style and architecture of Bordeaux. They were inspired by the big chateaus and stuff, and so they built on the principle of the Bordeaux regions and all that. And they show a couple of pictures in this one particular article with absolutely no Chinese style at all. I mean, it looks like if you just would drop the melody, you would think you were in France. Uh, in 2018, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild came out with their first Chinese brand called Domaine de Long Day, L-A-D-E-L-O-N-G-D-A-Y, and is located in Penglai. Started in 2008, it was 75 acres, or 30 hectares, of Cabernet Sauvignon, Marcelin, and Cabernet Franc. The uh, climate is very, Shandong is very maritime. It's close to the sea, and so the monsoons and high annual rainfall make for challenges and difficulties. Uh, high disease problems, too. Uh, a lot like Bordeaux. I mean, the, the comparisons are really uncanny here. Uh, you find plantings dedicated to Cabernet uh, Grenache. Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon and the reason. Uh, Ningze, which is Eastern Helen Mountain Foothills. Ningze is home of the most critically acclaimed wines in China. Uh, again, it specializes in Bordeaux varieties, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Cabernet Grenache or Carmier. Uh, it's, uh, there was a Bordeaux Ningze blind tasting competition that gave the Chinese region Ningze four of the top five wine placements. Bordeaux just needs to, France just needs to quit having competition with other countries are losing. The region is home to about 93,900 acres of vineyards. Wow. Or 38,000 hectares making it the second largest wine region in China. Over 200 wineries are found around there. So that's why all the different, so much vineyard because of all the wineries. Established its own classification, which is modeled after the 1855 classification of Bordeaux. And they revise this every two years. The top wineries are divided into grades. 35 wineries are listed on the regional classification system. So it doesn't 
say what the system and how it works, but they they're divided up. What's unique about it is its isolation and climate extremes. The region sits on the eastern edge of the Gobi Desert, where workers bury grapevines each year to survive the winter. It's also situated at an extremely high elevation uh, for wine grain vineyards at 4,000 feet, uh, which increases solar radiation and uh, grapes produce a lot more red color that way uh, at the time. Another region, Haibai, H-E-B-E-I, which uh, contains the uh, areas of Haili and Chengli. This is all close to Beijing, uh, the capital of China. Uh, Haibai is the third largest wine producing region in China. It, has over 32,130 acres of vines, and it's also the home of the Great Wall wine-making place. (laughs) Uh, The main industry in Haibai is wine. It's... uh, a uh, market of over 10 billion yen, which is 1.4 billion U.S. dollars uh, a year. Uh, they have all sorts of terrors, uh, floodplains, mountain ranges, but uh, two distinct regions. Uh, Hulai wine region is northwest of Beijing, and it's in the hills. And it's a higher altitude, 3,200 feet, dry climate basically all the time there. And the vineyard is only two hours from China's capital, so it is visited a lot there. 21.5 million people in Beijing, so you can imagine the wineries there are probably flooded with people. Another region, Chengli wine region, is near the Bohai Sea, which is high humidity and disease, which... Because of humidity, disease, it happens with that. Winters are cold and dry and freezing winds from Siberia. And because it's cold, the vines get buried by hand to survive the winter. So obviously, a lot of these areas bury their wine, or their grapevines, so they won't freeze. And Cabernet Sauvignon, I know, if it stays below 20, minus 20 degrees for any more than like seven, eight hours, it will freeze and Xinjiang is uh, another area supposed to produce as much as 100,000 tons of grapes on just 16,000 acres. Uh, and, you know, it's like it is on the borders of Kazakhstan and Tajikistan and Afghanistan. Rugged, low rainfall, high temperature shifts day and night, and the grapes tend to have high sugar content and low acidity for this. Uh, They do make sweet wines, but they tend to be a little flat without much much character. Uh, Most of these uh, wines are shipped in bulk to other companies for blending. 
the region still shows potential, though, for agriculture and making raisins. Is, is been pursued for raisins, and they're starting to do more and more raisins there now out of that uh, that region because of it. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful picture of the area. And Yunnan is the last of the big regions. This is in the Himalayan terror, uh, Himalayan mountains, the straddles the Yemen straddles Laos and Myanmar and is an area along the tro- uh, an area along the tropics would seem like a very unlikely place to make quality wine, but the high altitude of this at eight thousand five hundred and thirty feet is possible to grow quality grapes. So so possible to grow quality grapes that Moet Hennessy recently invested in the area and is planting 500 acres, basically of Cabernet varieties, and they plan on making champagne in the area. And it's been managed and tended by 120 Tibetan, uh, Tibetan farmers. Oh, that area there, but it's uh, uh, the altitude. And there are quite a few other regions that uh, I'm not going to destroy the names for you throughout China. Uh, Plateau, very close to Beijing, uh, small wine production out of there. Uh, the far northeastern areas of China uh, makes an ice wine with a French-American hybrid by Dow. Uh, there's a region along the Russian border, which is also known for ice wine. A uh, small historic, historic area just outside of Beijing is noted for sweet wines from the Black Muscat. Uh, the Jilin area uh, is noted for ski resorts, but they also have, make a wine called Amur which is made uh, from the Vitus Amornis grape. A Kanzu is uh, uh, east of uh, eastern part of China, and they have, uh, uh, well, they said there's transport issues there, so it probably wasn't, won't grow very well. And a very small area called Henan is challenged by hot and humid climate conditions. So these are the areas of Chinese wines. Um, Let's see, what else I got about Chinese wines that's going to mention here? Nope, not that. If I could do a quick uh, shout-out, and this is directed to you. Okay, Uh, Adrian. Adrian uh, says uh, your grandkids are listening and a little lesson on wine uh, before bed. Ah. So there you go. (laughs) Well, thank you. And let me give a shout out back to Adrian and to Holly and to Charlotte and to Tyler. They, it's getting close to bedtime. No, it's not yet. They still got a little bit more time, but uh, thanks for listening guys. I appreciate it. And, uh, Ah, Tang Dynasty. Well, that wasn't. Great Wall Wine Company. Yeah, 
Okay, I talked about the Great Wall Wine Company, so I don't need to mention that again. All right, so there's a, a, a primer on, on Chinese wines for you. Um, the, uh, well, I know what else I was going to tell you about was, let's see, where is it, 19, University of Davis has came out with new wine, new grapes, new wine grapes. And you have to realize that when anybody comes up with new wine grapes, and you see Davis does all the time, and so does University of Minnesota, and so does University of Michigan, and so does Cornell University in New York. And they say these are good wine grapes, and they tried them, they played with them, all that. And what makes them special is like University of Michigan and Minnesota and Cornell University is that they are cold hardy. They are being used around the country. Different ones around the country are being used. UC Davis has been working on different things to make them resistant to different diseases and stuff. But these new five here are resistant to Pierce disease, which is very important. I haven't talked about Pierce disease in a long time. I need to do another show on Pierce disease. Uh, but first time since 1980s, University of California Davis Research have released a new variety of wine grapes. Uh, five new varieties, three red and two white are highly resistant to Pierce disease, which end up costing. Now, Pierce disease, are saying, end up costing California grape growers more than $100 million a year because of Pierce disease. California is, well, Florida is the one that really has a problem with Pierce disease, too. That's why we have no Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot's or any of the ones you may be used to here in Florida because Pierce disease is just decimates them. You put them in the ground and within two years, they're dead. California has been battling it on and on. They have found egg sacs from the glassy wing sharpshooter, which is the vector for the Pierce disease. And it has continuously been a problem there. Pierce disease is, called, is caused by a bacterium spread by the glassy-winged sharpshooter, and it causes the leaves to yellow or scorch is what they call it, and then they drop from the vine, which causes the grape clusters to dehydrate and not produce, and it's a mushroom effect, and the grapevines die. And the uh, California has had an escalation of the non-native glassy-wing sharpshooter, which spreads this disease. Uh, it particularly threatens the southeastern United States, and rising temperatures from climate change could increase the spread of the disease throughout the country because the cold winters usually kills it. And the warmer it gets, the longer they can survive the winter. Uh, the uh, 
resistance varieties are the wines that we grow in Florida, Vitus Labrusca, Vitus uh, uh, I've got a blank now. I used to know all these, and I got a blank. Um, but Vitus vinifera, which is the wine grapes that you're so familiar with, European wine grapes, have not built any type of resistance to Pierce disease. And so it's always been an, an issue. But they have crossed the southwestern U.S. and northern Mexico grapes, Vitus er- Arizonica, which has a single dominant gene that is resistant to Pierce disease with the virus vinifera over four or five generations. And it's taken about 20 years to develop, but it is working. They've got it to the point now where it is working and the plants are showing strong, strong resistance. And it's they're not doing anything. The Pierce disease is not affecting them at all. So this is a great thing. Uh, the five new varieties were evaluated by a sensory tasting panel and it included some prominent enologists and winemakers. They said what's exciting about it is that it is standalone varieties that are resistant to Pierce disease. The three new red varieties are called Caminare, C-A-M-M-I-N-A-R-E, Caminare Noir, Pazante, P-A-S-E-A-N-T-E Noir, and Errante, E-R-R-A-N-T-E Noir. The Caminare Noir has characteristics of Cabernet Sauvignon and Petit Syrah. Uh, Pachante Nor is similar to Zimindal, and it was highly ranked in the tastings. And the Arante Nor, <coughs> excuse me, is a red wine grape most similar to Cabernet Sauvignon and great for blending potential with very dark red purple color and some earthy plummy aromas to it. And this is 50% Sylvanian. 12.5% each of Cabernet Sauvignon, Carignan, and Chardonnay. The two white varieties that are now available are the Ambulo, A-M-B-U-L-O, Ambulo Blanc, which is similar to Cabernet Blanc, uh, or Sauvignon Blanc, and it's been tested in Temecula, Sonoma, and Napa, and it's a 62.5% Cabernet Sauvignon, 12.5% Carignan, and 12.5% Chardonnay. That seems like the same blend of the one that we just saw for the red. No, it's 50% Sauvignon. That's what I was thinking. And the other one is the Caminant Blanc, C-A-M-I-N-A-N-T-E, Caminant Blanc. And it has characteristics of a Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc and a Chardonnay. And this is 62.5% Cabernet Sauvignon, 12% Chardonnay, and 12% Carignan. Uh, They're ready for patenting and release. They should be available this year, 2020. Uh, And more will be available by 2021. So, Pierce Disease Resistant Grace being released for the University of California Davis. 
and and that could be exciting. That could be very exciting because if that were the case, and if they are really fierce disease resistant, you may see them popping up in areas like Florida and Georgia and Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Texas, all these places where Pierce disease is starting to run a little bit rampant, including Colorado. They found egg sacs on the western slope of Colorado uh, last year, too, so uh, the class swing sharpshooter. So this could be a Vitus vinifera hybrid that can be planted in Florida. So this is an exciting thing. I'll have to get in touch with the uh, uh, Florida Grape Growers Association and see if there's any plans of getting that into Florida or if they're going to wait for a while. So. That's wow, good news. Definitely. It yeah. is. It is very good. <laughs> like that they're making progress on this and uh, the research and the trials and everything that they have to do to come up with something like that. That's a, uh, that's a great thing. Um, it is. And big and, for and the it, industry. And very big for the industry. Well, I saw a price here. Let me see if I can find it again. Yeah. Uh, well, Pierce disease costs great for more than $100 million a year in California alone. Uh, but it took, what did they say, five generations, almost 20 years to come up with this. Uh, but if it works, you're right. It's it's big. It's, uh, it's, it's a very big thing. What, I just saw something else here, something wiped out. 1995. Uh, trying to scroll through stuff and read as fast as I can. I'm losing. Yeah, it's taken 20 years to patent it. Uh, the trial was on the same plot of land where Pierce disease wiped out grapes in 1995. And the trial was put back on that. And the land is now organic, so he doesn't spray. So Pierce disease could easily jump in there. So, But it hasn't at all. The grapes continue to grow and it became Pierce disease resistant. So, yay, you're right. This this is big. This is This is if they found some way to stop Pierce disease itself is big, but something like this is something that uh, could be very good because the way they're talking, these grapes have the taste and potential of matching ones that we're already used to. So we'll see. I'll keep you informed and keep you posted on what's happening on this stuff. Absolutely. Uh, We are, as you said, sitting at uh, about 8.07 p.m., so uh, we will go ahead and close down the program here for this Thursday, uh, January the 9th, and we will return on January the 16th. That's uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right there you here go. on uh, yeah, <laughs> right here on Blog Talk. I had to change so many scripts and all kinds of things that we like that. But, yeah. uh, we will. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time live, <laughs> or you can of course, yeah, listen to us on various um, um, sources that, that we're on uh, delayed and you know recording and everything. So uh, there's other sources out there, but uh, if you're listening to us live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 
uh, right here on Blog Talk Radio and on Facebook Live. And uh, thank you for yeah. tuning in. And you'll have a great week. And, yeah. And uh, we'll see you all yeah. uh, and, we'll see uh, you all next on week. anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have a yeah, wonderful all. week. Be safe. Drink responsibly. And uh, we'll see you next week. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. (laughs) 